What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Alex Mazmich is the creator of the Alex Token. He is interested in how decentralized computing and smart contracts can significantly change the world. In this conversation, we discuss crypto's low barrier to entry, personalized tokens, decentralized finance, Bitcoin and Ethereum, and how athletes and musicians are likely to monetize themselves in the future. I really enjoyed this conversation with Alex, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into the episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. The first is Crypto.com. They've got an awesome URL, but they're also an all-in-one platform that allows you to buy, sell, store, earn, loan, or invest crypto all from one place. That's right. Crypto.com has 1 million users currently using the Crypto.com app. So you can go download it today and they'll give you 50 US dollars if you use my code POMP2020. Anytime somebody allows for an all-in-one platform where you can buy, sell, store, earn, loan, or invest, you should pay attention. So go check out Crypto.com. Like I said, great URL, but that's the place where mass adoption is occurring. Crypto.com. Next up is Unstoppable Domains. Coinbase wallets normally ask you to include the wallet address when you send crypto to them. So that is the long string of letters and numbers. When you go to do it, you're literally sweating. Your heart is palpating. It doesn't feel good. You're stressed out because you're scared you're going to mess up some of the letters and numbers in that string. Well, now Coinbase wallets supports .crypto and .zill domains through their partnership with Unstoppable Domains. What this means is that you can now use something like pomp.crypto as your wallet address. So when people say, where should I send the Bitcoin? You can simply say pomp.crypto. Where should I send the Ether? Pomp.crypto. That is what Unstoppable Domains and Coinbase Wallet has created through this partnership. So Unstoppable Domains provides an all-in-one solution for blockchain domains. You can send money using these new domains instead of the long Bitcoin wallet addresses, while you can also store your domain in Coinbase's collectible section. So they are domains. It's just like URLs. If somebody buys it and you wanted it, you can't get it. It's first come, first served. So go to unstoppabledomains.com in your DAP browser and go get your domain today before somebody else buys it. Once they're gone, they're gone. If you want a specific domain, go get it at unstoppabledomains.com. Go check it out. Lastly, don't forget that I write a daily letter to over 50,000 investors about business technology and finance. I break down complex topics into easy to understand language while sharing my personal opinion on various aspects of each industry. You can subscribe at pompletter.com. Again, pompletter.com. All right, let's get into this episode with Alex. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I've got Alex here. What's going on, man? Bang, bang. Super excited. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Uh, all right. We, uh, we, we've we been meaning to do this for a while now, and uh, you are known for creating the Alex token, which is uh, the first personalized 
crypto token. Uh, the people listening to this, 50% of them are going to think that that's awesome and, and um, you know, uh, really exciting and cutting hedge. And the other 50% are going to be like, oh, great, another shit coin. Um, so we'll get to all that uh, in a second. But let's start with just you, your background, um, and kind of how did you come, uh, come on to crypto and, and get so enthralled with it? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, and indeed, like contention is great when 50-50 uh, ratio, that's the best ratio to get attention. So I get I got this right. Um, yeah, so my background, I spent zero to 18 year old in Paris, uh, you know, high school and everything. And then uh, studied in the UK, learned English for three years, business management. And then for a year, I tried a startup that failed. It was about like 3D printing platform. But basically, my goal in life is to be uh, a founder of tech companies and optimizing for impact. And so once this has failed, I realized that I need to have the best network possible in order to succeed in life. And then I tried to select an industry because I was just going for 3D printing because of serendipity, I guess. But uh, I chose like three technologies that I studied for a while, which is AI, crypto, and uh, AR and VR and like, you know, uh, X reality. And as a young person starting their career, crypto has just the lowest barriers of entry. And, you know, this like the internet created the best entrepreneurs in the world. And so I thought, you know, if they were alive today, I mean, they are alive today, um, they would choose crypto today. And it paid off so far. It's going great. So I've entered crypto last year, 12 months ago, and uh, I've done a lot of primitives uh, on Ethereum. So applications in DeFi, DAO, NFT, and lately my personal token, Alex. And I can talk about any of those, uh, but it's been a, such a journey so far and super excited. And now like onto my next startup. Um, so yeah, short background. Got it. Uh, let's just dive right into uh, the Alex token. I think that's the one that you're probably known most for. Uh, what the hell is this thing? So basically uh, it's a token that represents my community. Um, and it started off in March when um, basically COVID happens. Uh, I got my only source of income cut off. Like I'm a founder. I don't have any salaries. And I, I am scheduled on main stage at a big Ethereum conference to talk about personal tokens because I've had one for a while. I was known as the only one to have it, but I've never done anything with it. And I thought, you know what? This is now and ever. Do a small token sale of $20,000 and announce it on stage. And it got great feedback. And then a month later, um, I released the documents to participate in the sale. 30 people did. And that's it. In two days, it got sold off. And that's where I got a bit of media attention. And it's awesome because I will be giving 15% of my income in the next three years to those 30 people. And then since the Alex token has gone up in value, uh, I've done like other experiments since and exclusive content to benefit my community. Got it. And so the idea here is um, people can buy the tokens, right? There was a token sale, but can they also buy them uh, elsewhere in order to get uh, part of the tokens that you didn't sell to those original uh, investors who put up the $20,000? Yes. So 10% was reserved for those. And so the immense majority, uh, which doesn't have any claim on income or whatever, and it's used as a utility for my community, um, are on Uniswap right now because Uniswap is permissionless. And you know, you've got uh, Bradley from Roll on board, which is the creator of my social token. And he always does that. The team actually stakes a bit of ETH to create some initial liquidity for my token. 
Got it. And so when somebody goes and buys the Alex token today, uh, because they weren't part of the token sale, they don't get a claim on your income, right? Only those investors do. What do I get in exchange for, uh, for buying the Alex token? So you get tons of things. So first, uh, you get access to my Telegram group only group chat. Um, we have like a bot that actually checks if you have enough Alex and kicks you out if you sell the tokens. Uh, also a newsletter. So that's the two like exclusive content to get updated with my life. And because I have a commitment that I will continue experience with a token that's informed with my community. Uh, if I get more popular, which is actually a perverse incentive because successful is different from popular. If I get more popular, the token should have more fans buying into it for the experience that I'm doing and potentially uh, could go up. Anyway, so um, other than this, I've done Control My Life which is a quite clickbait title for personal token voting. And so Austin Griffiths, a very famous Ethereum developer, uh, did this ERC20 voting thing. And basically people could stake on my daily habit in July. And so there was like solely living off Bitcoin or waking up at 6 a.m. or running off five miles, which I've done. And this, voted, this vote won. And the fourth one, I don't remember, but I think it's like go vegan. And uh, it's funny, like a million tokens were voted there's only four million circulating right now which is such a huge participation rate compared to many like other organization in the space so that was very funny to see and so what you basically did was you said hey there's four things that i may do this month if you're a token holder you get a vote and you're literally going to quote unquote control my life right you're going to basically the crowd's going to decide what i do exactly yeah and so this happened over a week and at the end uh running five miles uh one and so to prove myself on my Alex only Telegram group chats, I've gone on to publish Trava uh, like runs every single day. I mean, five days a week uh, for the whole month of July, running five kilometers. And that was, that was very fun. Got it. And so extrapolate this out, right? Is uh, you're the first person to kind of do a lot of these things. Uh, I think, again, a lot of people look at it and they say, uh, that's kind of an experiment. Um, but why are you doing this? And then how do you think that this uh, evolves over time? Like, what does this look like in the steady state? Is every human walking around with their own token? Uh, and we're all controlling each other's lives? Or, or how does that play yeah. out? So there's so many different things here. Um, but I think the main one and the one I'm probably going to use is that uh, a stake in someone's community uh, is amazing. And the fact that people can support me and have a vehicle to support me so early on in my life. And I was in Europe, so I did not benefit from Silicon Valley. Like now I'm connected to people in the Bay Area and very young, you know, they can get like $100,000 from wealthy people very young to optimize their impact. And so I did not get that. I was born in Paris. And so for me, it's like a whole new vehicle, uh, way better than student loans, way better than other alternatives of funding uh, than uh, you know, it exists today. So I'm creating this whole new different path. It's clunky because I'm never, I'm like the only one there pretty much. Now there's more people, there's around 10 of us, I think. Um, and so yeah, creating my own path to a little bit of funding, but also the fact that I'm pioneering this also got me some attention, connections. And so, so far it's not my full-time thing. Like I'm still a founder building startups, and I've actually got a personal token manager like a month ago, which is super weird, like 2020 jobs. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'm just keeping this as a side thing because it really interests people and I love experimenting. What is a, po a personal token manager? 
So that person is Cooper Tully, and he is a talent manager for artists in Los Angeles. But he also is one of the biggest uh, contributors to the Defiant, which is a new source for Ethereum info. And so mixing those two is literally being my agent, my agent, especially as personal token people probably in the future will be athletes or uh, entrepreneurs, artists. And so this is the kind of same vibe where, you know, if I have some OTC deals where people want to buy my token in bulk, other than Uniswap for voting in my experiment, he could handle the deals or he could suggest some experiments. And so he has other people under his arm and he just started this like a month ago, which for me is fascinating. And yeah, I'm super glad to be part of it. And at the same time, just like an artist can focus on music whilst the manager does all the business stuff, same for me, I can focus on my startup and he's like experimenting with my token on the side. Got it. And so uh, you're young, how old are you? I just turned 24. I was playing the young card so long, but now it's like, yeah. <laughs> Listen, as somebody who's 32 and still gets called young, 24, you got a long way to go before anybody <laughs> says that you're not young. Uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, where does this drive and ambition come from in terms of uh, you've met a lot of people, you've built a great network, you've tinkered with a lot of technology, uh, and you're only 24 years old. Like most 24-year-olds are trying to figure out how to go get drunk on the weekend. Like, why are you doing this? I'm doing this because uh, there was like a bug in the matrix where at like 13, I got so fascinated by Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs is the best, especially compared to my background where I'm not that technical. And Steve Jobs is someone that's pretty much, you know, product and marketing as a tech person. Uh, and this is what I'm driving for today. And I, I seem to be doing well at both of those so far. Uh, and crypto is also the best field to enter because the level of talent isn't still world-class. I think Silicon Valley dismisses crypto for now, which is healthy for young entrepreneurs like me to kind of like sharpen the knife in the meantime. Uh, so it's like, yeah. So basically initially Steve Jobs, I'm just so fascinated for me. Apple is the best brand in the world and they actually are anyway by market cap, right? So yeah. Got it. And, and so as you think about these personalized tokens, these community tokens, you, you mentioned a little bit, um, you know, you're a young guy who, who's kind of sharpening the blade, right, or, or kind of at the tip of the spear of this. But when you pull that back, it sounds like you think that every musician, every entrepreneur, every athlete, and pretty much anyone in the spotlight is going to have one of these. Is that fair? I think so. Just like, you know, Justin Can, which is the founder of Twitch, uh, was a weirdo. Uh, streaming himself and then he created a billion dollar platform called Twitch. Uh, I think right now I'm that weirdo uh, monetizing myself, but I think every single creator of every type, even politicians I can see in the future could rally the community and that would be awesome, right? I think, you know, artists uh, usually thank fans, uh, you know, by saying, I would be nothing without you. Thank you so much for being there, my day ones, etc. But they never thank them financially. And I think uh, it's long overdue that we do that. Got it. And, and so as that plays out, is this something where the token uh, structures are like inflationary, you can create more tokens? Is it something where there's just a, a preset uh, kind of artificial cap, somewhere like a Bitcoin? Like, like how do you think about that token structure, uh, especially when you're starting out and you've got 30 investors, but if you were to become, you know, the next Drake or the next LeBron James, you then could have the potential of millions and millions of people wanting uh, access to this. That makes sense. So right now, uh, the model that Roll does with me and all the other tokenized people is a 10 million fixed cap uh, that's not going to be inflated. 
uh, and a token vesting mechanism of $200,000 every single month. And so I kind of cheated on it. Like we unlocked a million tokens for like the investor stuff because that's uh, special, but it's like still that way. And for me, it's great. Fixed supply, I can understand because it's only my early fans. And, you know, if I get super famous later, does everyone want to be uh, a token holder of myself? Maybe not, uh, maybe more the super fans. So that's fine that it's fixed supply to kind of create some scarcity. Um, and then the vesting is great in my opinion, because uh, as I grow in popularity, the token gets a bit more liquid. And if it was all at once, it would not be as exciting. Uh, and now we can see growth um, in all segments. So that's great. Got it. And, and is the thought process that uh, these people will stop looking for dollars or, or uh, whatever the fiat currency is, and they'll just want the appreciation of their token? Or is it something where they coexist? So, hey, I still want the cash flow, but then I also want the, the token to appreciate in price too. I think it will coexist. Uh, but I do think that if you're a huge fan of someone, you would love to get as many of their tokens because surely all of their products and services will be linked at least maybe as a like loyalty discount scheme. Uh, but of course, I think uh, fiat denomination at least is here to stay. It's just so simple. Yeah. Um, and given what you've done already, you've been doing this for what, six months, give or take. Uh, what are the biggest surprises or the things that if you could go back, you wouldn't do? Uh, biggest surprises. Uh, so yeah, people go into two categories. Either they're like, oh my God, you're going to lose control of your life. This is unindeterred servitude. Uh, you're going to be uh, like enslaved by your shareholders and this is the worst, like you have no control. And I'm like, well, no, I do have control. Like this is an experiment. Like the control my life thing was clickbait because I'm good at marketing, but it's not actually controlling my life. Uh, and then the second thing is people saying you have too much control. This is 2017 ICO, you are a scam. You're going to run off with the money, et cetera. And so these two points that are negative towards this experiment kind of contradict themselves. Um, so it's nice because it feels like I'm still at the middle right now, uh, but I can see both of the sides going wrong. And I think I don't have any regrets, but I do have some potential, uh, things to advise future tokens, uh, and future personal tokens, which is maybe have some recourse, have some trustless, you know, uh, quote unquote, um, ways to make sure you don't rip off the community. I have, I haven't done it personally. Uh, because it was so early on, but I think we're going to learn as a space. And so far I am trustworthy. You know, I didn't do any exit scam. I'm, I'm a great person so far. Uh, so it's okay. And I'm actually willing to enforce myself some rules, maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe like a buyback program in the future or something like this, uh, and, or, or add recourse retroactively. So I'm really open to, uh, keep security high and like keep every investor safe, right? This is a playground. This is not even investors, to be honest. It's more like shareholders of my community. Uh, so when you say that you're a good person so far, are you planning to not be a good person in the future? <laughs> yeah. No, but like I advertise, like, you know, even for my token sale or anything, like I can technically run away with the money. This is, you know, not trustless. Uh, you know, it's the opposite of the trustless protocols in DeFi, for instance, uh, where it's like set up on Ethereum. Uh, this is just a person that you have to trust. But at least my reputation is on the line. And most of my career has been on that reputation. So I have really no incentive to run away, but I just wanted to let know people that I could still turn bad, but of course I won't. It makes no sense, but I just want to be honest. Got it. And, and then in terms of um, you're giving a percentage of your income, I think it's 15% for three years. 
how do if I'm one of those uh, uh, token holders that get that income share, how do I know how much money you made? Right. So uh, we discussed this a lot, and I won't give my tax return, and people will have to believe what I made. Um, and so I basically, like I did it for the first time last month because it was the first quarter, and I described all my payments that I've gone through, um, and yeah, that's it. Like, I don't know. There was no, there's no trustless way again. And even then I could perhaps like fake my tax return. Like, I think it's really based on trust. And if you don't trust me or trust that I will do good, you probably should stay away from this. Uh, why not give the tax return? I think most people would say like, oh, that would be the easiest way to prove it. Is it just because it's got sensitive information or, or what's the, the thought process to not share that? Yeah, maybe I'll do it in the future. It's just that I haven't filed the tax return for next year. So it was by a quarter. So like I kind of had to do gross income, which is actually more money for the shareholders anyway. Got it. And um, in terms of uh, those payments and stuff, are you publishing that for anyone in the world to see and just the people who hold the tokens get it? Or is that information that's just shared with the, the token holders? Like, how do you think about, I guess, uh, like the transparency and uh, information sharing versus income sharing? So um, the income sharing is public on the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, I haven't advertised it. I think I've said it on Twitter, like, you know, the airdrop has happened, et cetera. Maybe I put the link, but I didn't want to say the amount that I've made too loud. I have a newsletter that people have to pay Alex for to access it where I disclose it, even if you're not one of the investors. So if you want to go that route, that's fine. But I probably, I don't want to reveal financial information too publicly on Twitter. Um, and yeah, I'm, I think people, if, if people can dig, they can see. But actually, it's quite hidden because it's in a currency that's not actually pegged one one. Uh, first, we thought USDC or a stablecoin, but now it's in Alex LP tokens on Uniswap. So like people are providing liquidity. That's how they pay me. So it's actually a very funny way because although it's public, it's quite hard to reverse engineer how much I made which I find funny, uh, but people can if they, uh, you know, book my newsletter. Got it. Um, and then in terms of uh, how this evolves over time, do you think that people will have to uh, kind of diverge from the, oh, just trust me model to something that's like on-chain cash flow or, or some other model uh, where people say, no, I want to be able to verify what your income is, either yeah. for you or for like a big, you know, athlete, musician, whatever? Yeah, for sure. I think, and we saw Spencer Dinwiddie, I think he closed his sale. So he's a NBA uh, player that tokenized his contract. He's the first one. He got some pushback from the NBA, but I think he ended up doing it. Um, I think, yeah, I think, you know, I've, I haven't done this properly because this was the first time with a very tiny reasonable amount, but I think uh, I could see some regulations around it and making it like the kind of new seed investment, the new white combinator. I can totally see that in action and there will be some rules and enforcements to protect the shareholders. What's the craziest thing that somebody's asked you or the craziest uh, pushback that you've gotten? Like I, I'm fat. Listen, and for those that are listening, uh, I'm fascinated by this uh, because I can't tell how much of this is like complete bullshit and it's just gonna go like you know it's gonna like fall off a cliff and then you're gonna call me one day and be like, dude, that was a fun experiment, but like it didn't work at all. Versus uh, like th there is this like small glimmer that I see where people have uh, kind of income sharing via like tokenization or, or something like that now. 
what platform does it get built on? What's the currency? Like there's so many questions as to like how it actually gets implemented. But the idea of like just a simple uh, on-chain cash flow, like that's interesting. Right. right. And, and so how do you kind of start to incorporate that? Okay, well, then you can get access to that information. It's easier to, uh, maybe there's not true corporations, right? Like I know that there's companies in, I think both Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum uh, kind of communities that say, look, we're not going to go with a, le a traditional legal structure. Instead, we're going to do everything on chain. And like your ownership is basically held on chain. And therefore you have a claim on cash flows and things like that. This feels very similar to that, right? Right, right. Well, first of all, yeah, let me defend personal tokens because I don't think it's, I don't think it's bullshit at all. Uh, you know, Kickstarter works. Uh, Kickstarter is a model to invest in people before they achieve their potential. Uh, ISA with Lambda School indication for software engineers really work. And so we know that if we add like the capitalism, speculation and financial aspect that crypto brings so easily, it would be great because it would attract more revenue for creators, which are typically a persona that doesn't make enough money and is struggling to monetize, right? Like people spend hours listening to podcasts. Do podcasters really get paid for the amount of time that people consume versus Netflix or music? And even Netflix on music are quite underpaid. So I think it would be huge to have more monetization for all types of creators, athletes, entrepreneurs, politicians. Um, and so that's, that's for my defense. Uh, <laughs> All right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, before you continue, okay? So uh, I will buy most of that argument, but what does that look like? Let's say that, uh, let, let's take a musician and an athlete. So for LeBron James, and then let's say for Drake, right? Is this something where uh, they create tokens, they, uh, once they're already a star, they then have like a token sale ICO, whatever, you know, whatever you're the, the latest, uh, you know, kind of vocabulary is for this, uh, but they basically sell the tokens into the market. They hold some back. Maybe there's vesting, maybe there's not. And then they create like an economy or an ecosystem where you can only use the LeBron James token to go to his games or buy things in his store or attend, you know, maybe movies he produces or stuff like that. Or is it something that's more of like a loyalty points? So it's within this closed ecosystem, but all you can really do is maybe win like a cool experience or, or do something like that. Like, how do you see it actually um, in the steady state, somebody like LeBron James or, or Drake using this stuff? So I think it can be either. So either the revenue income or the loyalty discount and maybe the latter it's going to be easier legally, right? Because it's just, you know, 15% off my merch as Drake. Then, you know, the superstars, I don't think, unless the first one, I think, you know, the first one will have a premium because it is the first one that is a superstar doing it. But I think long-term, the best people to uh, that should do a personal token should be B-list celebrities that have potential to go A-list. And so that way, the more potential is the more gains for the people who want to invest in that token. Got it. And is the thought process that uh, literally you're like buying a rising star, right? Like similar, similar to buying a stock that is poised to break out, you're basically being able to quote unquote invest in the person before they break out? Yeah, exactly. That's how I see it because the person has potential, you invest in it. So you got the early fans now and the speculators who objectively think that the star is going to rise. So that's just monetization. And that's great. Uh, I think crypto is about making everything liquid and this is a fun step towards it. 
you're either out of your mind or, or you're dead on. We're, we're going to find out. <laughs> and, and, and look, and, and I think there's a lot of people who will hear me talking about this stuff, right? And they're like, why are you even talking about it? And what's interesting to me is uh, the more that you get it into like, hey, I have a currency, like look at this thing that you can use to pay me and do all that kind of stuff. Like, and I'm probably not as sold on that. The idea that uh, this is just the next iteration from Kickstarter to ISAs to, you know, tokenization of this person and basically, um, you know, what's the difference between somebody's uh, parents giving them a loan, right, versus them using this a, as a, a way to uh, raise capital, right? It's just a, it's a new capital markets mechanism uh, for an individual. Uh, there's probably all kinds of legal things that need to be figured out, but in terms of like that as a use case, uh, you can see the use cases there. It's just how does it actually get implemented that probably determines whether it's successful or not. Yeah, for sure. Um, we'll see in the future, to be honest. Yeah, like we can't know if it's ridiculous or not, but I tend to think the most ridiculous ideas actually end up being trillion dollar companies. Look, that's why I'm saying you're either out of your mind or you're going to be yes. really right. <laughs> yes, but that's the good part. It's like, it's very rare to find ideas that look really, really dumb and weird. But at the same time, it's like, well, I'm not sure if it's going to nothing or to like a massive world changing thing. I, uh, I think that you also are, uh, the sense I get from you, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong, you either think that this is going to end up being very kind of foolish and, and a toy, or this is going to end up being a trillion dollar thing, right? Like I, like I think you have a kind of a binary outcome uh, in, in terms of how this plays out, or am I wrong on that? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think the biggest yeah. thing usually started as toy and Bitcoin had the same treatment, right? So, and now it's not a toy anymore. All right, that's fair. We're on the same page. Uh, <laughs> you, you, um, because of all the things that you're doing, uh, you've been building a bunch on Ethereum. Uh, two questions. One is just how much of this are you building versus you're leveraging tools and uh, platforms that other people have built? And then we'll get into talking kind of Bitcoin and Ethereum, but just help people understand like how much of this is reliant on you doing it versus you're able to leverage other things that are built and they could go do it if they wanted. Right. So uh, first, since I'm not very technical, of course, I know basics of coding to be in the space. But um, if doing means coding, no, I haven't coded any of my stuff. A little bit control my life, which is one of my experiments with the Alex token. Uh, I've done some front end, but that's like very little work. Uh, no, I think the huge part about Ethereum is composability, meaning that people build a smart contract, you can build on top of it. And so, for instance, I can give an example. So Rocket is a lending platform that take NFT, which is unique items on Ethereum. And so I've taken like the DAO governance. So like the way people can decide how to give loans to people, like I raised $50,000 for those lenders, um, then give out NFT and it's like a transaction to like a multi-sig that holds NFT. And so I've used all the tools available to me on Ethereum and there's so much positive sum experiments to be done. Uh, there's not enough people. I mean, there's so many builders coming to Ethereum, but the space is still so vague. Like I remember one of my marketing technique is like to say, this is the world's first ever. Like I said, this is the world's first ever domain name as a collateral or the world's first ever uh, crypto art piece as a collateral. Like we took Josie Bellini. She's a famous Ethereum artist and we gave a loan against it because we knew it would be valuable long-term in our opinion. And so, yeah, uh, you know, uh, building on top of others, but it's still the very first, uh, you know, foundation anyway. I think right now Ethereum is a bunch of APIs and we need the front end for the end user. And that's not being 
built right now, but it will in the future. All right. Then you keep saying this uh, Bitcoin is to Ethereum as email is to the internet. What the hell does that mean? Well, it's because, you know, email was the first form of data on the internet. And it was the like one of the best and we still use it. And email is never going anywhere. Uh, there's Superhuman and other companies doing some niches, but mostly it's like a free service. And it's really awesome that it's decentralized. And then there's the internet, which is billions of ways to see data. And I see the same thing with value, right? So Bitcoin is one kind of value and that's great. And it's not going away because of its brilliant marketing and branding. Uh, but Ethereum, which has a less good marketing in its name, but the platform will speak for itself because billions of smart contracts will then become startups, which will become extremely successful. And I think right now it's unsuitable at this point. They reach escape velocity. And even if some other competing blockchain builds on top of it, it will be a layer two solution. Uh, so I'm extremely bullish on Ethereum and the fact that you can create so many different sources of Bitcoin for each flavor that you want, whether it's lending, insuring, borrowing, any kind of usage or value. I think for me, it's really revolutionary. So there's a bunch of people who listen to this that are into Bitcoin. There's a bunch of people who listen to this that are into Ethereum. Yeah. Uh, I will put you on the spot. What are the pros and cons of Bitcoin first? Uh, how, do you, how do you look at Bitcoin and what do you say? Hey, these are the good things, but, and then these are the bad things. Probably Bitcoin as a regulatory edge, because I guess, you know, all the politicians, et cetera, are going to look at Bitcoin first before Ethereum. Um, the cons, it's that it's a bit boring. Like, you know, there's nothing happening. There's like a halving every four years or something. Like, I want exciting stuff to build on. I want to be useful. Like, how can I be useful in Bitcoin besides being an influencer? I'm not sure how can I do anything. And so Ethereum, you can build so much stuff. It's so impressive. It's like, this is the future. This is the internet. This is where uh, like the next innovations happen. This is where the next superstars are born. Uh, so of course, Ethereum any day. <laughs> you, you know that you're trolling and you're laughing, which I, which I respect. It's not, I'm not trolling. Like Ethereum is so amazing as a platform. And you know- But, why, but okay, hold on, hold on, hold we on. We don't trade gold every day, but we use the internet every day. And so- we will maybe have some Bitcoin. It will be like, you know, the family treasury. If like your dad is a Bitcoin, you know, old addict, but like every single person is going to have lending solution based on Ethereum. What, why is it going to be based on Ethereum? Well, I mean, of course, like the, like if tomorrow data says otherwise, I will jump off Ethereum. But right now the data is like obvious. It's everywhere. It's just working so well. And Ethereum 2.0 is not even live. Layer 2 is not even live. So but is it, hold on, hold on. Is, is Ethereum 2.0 ever going to launch? <laughs> well, I'm bearish on the timeline. Maybe it won't be this year, as some okay. people say phase zero will, but it's going to happen. It's some of the smartest engineers in the world working on this. Like, if it's not them, then who? Okay. Uh, well, it could just be nobody, right? And it could just never launch. I, I, I tend to, I tend to think that it will launch at some point. I'll, I'm with you on that timeline is always uh, the hard part for for everything in uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, crypto, everything, right? So not just them. Um, in terms of Ethereum, what are the pros and cons? So the pros of Ethereum is that it's the next uh, single biggest financial infrastructure of the universe. Um, and then the cons is that it's still work in progress. It's still slow, expensive, and not scalable. And the UX uh, still sucks. So there's tons to improve 
But the fact that despite all of its flaws, it's growing so much, especially DeFi right now. So finance under all forms, including a tokenized Bitcoin that's growing very fast, um, makes it really, really uh, impressive and something to follow. So this is just my opinion. Like I, I grew up like listening to your podcast when I started getting into crypto. And then I slowly started saying like, oh, uh, Anthony is a bit too much into Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. I, listen, we've invested in a lot of things that build on top of uh, Ethereum and, and are uh, related to the DeFi stuff, right? So I, I don't know why people think that uh, I'm necessarily a maximalist as much as I think I'm more of a realist in terms of uh, there's just a lot of – and actually react to this, right? So what do you think about this? My whole position on the uh, Ethereum and Ether world is that there's a lot of technology being built, but there's not a lot of products being built. And what I mean by that is everyone is saying like, oh, look at this shiny thing that I made it do. And when you show a bunch of other technical people or people who are like really in the weeds, they're like, oh, that's awesome. But then if you go and you try to get any mainstream user to use, I would argue almost any DeFi product, there's nobody outside of like that small technical audience who could figure out how to use it, has an interest in using it, et cetera. So it's still to me um, very kind of... Uh, uh, technology being built, not necessarily like user-friendly products. Whereas I think Bitcoin was like that at some point, right? So there was a point where, you know, if you, it'd be even before Mt. Gox or even Mt. Gox, like there was just, you know, not the average Joe was going to buy Bitcoin, right? It was always people kind of on the fringes and, and super technical, all that kind of stuff. But eventually there was products built that now make it really easy, right? And so the thought process is at some point, probably, and hopefully for, for the DeFi community and Ethereum and all that, you get the products built. It's just that we're not there yet, right? So agree or disagree with that? Oh, yeah, I completely agree with that. I would okay. just disagree on the Bitcoin part. I don't see any product built on Bitcoin. Maybe Loli, which is, you know, cashback on Bitcoin, great company. But apart from cashback on Bitcoin, there is no product. None of my friends know how to buy Bitcoin, a part of the in Revolut, which is already like a quite next-gen fintech startup. Um, but yeah, I do agree. Like, uh, I think DeFi six months ago was not even $1 billion locked. So that's ridiculously tiny. And so, yeah, like I'm not saying uh, uh, Ethereum is nowhere near yet in terms of products. Uh, there's some things going on with Foundation and Zora, which make the design very pretty for artists to tokenize. And it's actually quite adjacent to personal tokens. But apart from those, yeah, all the lending platform is really hard. And that's actually what I'm trying to focus on in my next startup which will try to help bring consumers, but we're all trying to do this and it's really hard. And maybe the hard answer is as long as we don't have ETH2, it's just not scalable and it's like for nerds and it's the Netscape of the internet. Um, you are uh, of the belief that Silicon Valley has kind of dismissed crypto. Explain that. No, yeah, for sure. But this is, again, just like my last argument, uh, DeFi is just way too tiny for Silicon Valley to care. Uh, and so this is why. And so Bitcoin is probably dismissed as, you know, it's just for people who hate governments and super libertarian and it's not the uh, end consumer. And Ethereum is extremely tiny, but right now it's growing at a magnificent pace. So it's, it went from, I think, 500 million last year to I think right now it's like 10 billion, 15 billion. I can't even keep count. But there was this famous video of Shamat uh, that you got on your podcast, The Billionaire. Um, he said he didn't know about DeFi. And it's funny because I think it's going to become a household name probably next year. Maybe not a household name because it's still a geeky term, decentralized. But I think some DeFi products will uh, cross the chasm very soon. And so the reason why Silicon Valley dismisses it is simply because 
yeah, the, the value being exchanged and locked is ridiculous compared to Bitcoin, which is still ridiculous compared to traditional finance. But the rate at which it's growing is enormous. Just like Jeff Bezos, I think he said in the 90s, uh, I started Amazon where the internet was kind of dead, but it was growing at 19,000% a year. And we are at this time. Ethereum is growing at 19,000% a year or something. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but it's growing really fast. And this is the reason why it should not be dismissed. And some amazing, maybe next fang companies uh, are going to be built. Do you want to know the number one thing I think that uh, the Ethereum and DeFi community could do to accelerate all of that? Yeah, please do. Is is to say uh, Bitcoin is the first DeFi application, right? Well, but it's not really. Uh, Bitcoin has to be custodied by banks and things that you don't control trustlessly. No, B- Bitcoin is the only thing that is trust uh, trustless, right? In terms of on Ethereum, it's not encouraged to run a full node. On Bitcoin, it is. And from a custody standpoint, Bitcoin is much more secure, much more decentralized. Right, so I think the reason why I say that uh, the DeFi and Ethereum community saying that what it does is it actually allows them to draft off of the market acceptance of Bitcoin, right? It, 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 there's no uh, there's no confusion or uh, lack of interest when it comes to crypto. Almost everyone talks about Bitcoin, right? In terms of the people who aren't like the hardcore crypto enthusiast, and so what I think is rather than trying to say, hey, we're different. What you really want to do is you want to basically say, no, look, we're just like Bitcoin and we're smaller. We're going to grow to be that size one day too, right? Because that would represent from a a market cap standpoint, I think what Ether's like one-tenth the market cap of Bitcoin. Yeah, but it's going to flip it. Is it? Yeah, of course. Like the internet flipped gold ages ago. And I mean, yeah, I just, it's inevitable to me. And I don't- But but hold on, but hold on. Did the internet flip the global money supply? No, but that's also an Ethereum task. Uh, Bitcoin is not global money supply. If, uh, Bitcoin is digital gold. What, why is it not money? Um, it's not money because you can't spend it every day. So that's medium of exchange. Is that a requirement for your definition of money? But if, so, all right. So I'm going to give you an economics lesson. Ready? If you go <laughs> down this path, <laughs> Bitcoin is used how much more than Ethereum every day or Ether every day? Uh, I think the Ethereum fees flipped the Bitcoin fees. And actually, I think Uniswap now equals Bitcoin. So Ethereum not only is, is equally centralized. No, 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 not, not, no, no, not exchanges. Hold on, hold on, now hold on. Uniswap flipped Bitcoin as well. Hold on, hold on, not exchange volume. We're not talking about exchange volume. We're talking about actual on-chain transaction volume. So not trading, right? Yeah, but the fees, the gas fees actually outpace Bitcoin for Uniswap, which is just one protocol on Ethereum, and the crazy part is that uh, you know Bitcoin wants to rely on block space value, but Ethereum has more expensive block space value. Just imagine the price of block space value that's going to be much more than Bitcoin when Ethereum flips Bitcoin. Are you making the argument that more people use Ether than Bitcoin right now? Uh, maybe not, but <laughs> I don't. I don't have. Maybe you have one statistic that would like be against me, but. It's no, just, no. So, so if you look at, if you go and you use adjusted on-chain transactions, do you use volume, Bitcoin every day? I just don't understand. Like you store Bitcoin, I guess. Well, hold on, hold on a second. So there's two pieces. First of all, a store of value, right? Holding on to it is a use case, 
right? Same with Ether, right? If Ether wants to be a store value and a medium of exchange, holding it is a use case, fair, right? Yeah. But the second piece is the adjusted on-chain transaction volume. So if you take out all the exchanges and, and anything going in and out of exchange uh, wallets, all that kind of stuff. So, right, um, I think it's CoinMetrics has this stat. And you look at Bitcoin's transaction volume on-chain with all that removed. It's called the on adjusted on-chain transaction volume. It is more than the amount of volume that's done on PayPal, Venmo, uh, or Apple Pay last year. Right, so 2019, more people used the Bitcoin network for transaction volume that was not going in and out of exchanges or using on exchanges, but actual some sort of transaction. Now, what it is, we don't know, right? Same with Ether. Like for a lot of the, the uh, transactions, we don't actually know what are people sending it for, right? But we do know that they're sending it. And so I think that the, um, the, the argument here, and this is kind of my point, is like making an argument that Ether is used more than Bitcoin, I think is one data disproves that, but also two is rather than um, trying to uh, um, make the, the flipping argument, instead what ends up happening is Ether and, and Ethereum is used for something completely different, right? And, and to your point, like there's things that people can do with Ethereum that you can't do with Bitcoin. Now, people in the Bitcoin community, I think, would argue like that's a good that, that's a good thing, right? And then there's a reason why that's true. I think people in the Ethereum community would argue, no, the fact that it does something different is a good thing, and and you know we should continue to double down. So my whole thing's always been like both communities and products just double down on what they do best, right? Rather than you know Bitcoin try to be uh, the next ICO platform or capital markets type platform, or Ethereum and Ether try to be money. Right. It's just like double down on what you're good at. And then that's what ends up actually, you know, providing 90 plus percent of the value of that community and that piece of technology. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the biggest pie is the pie left to eat, right? So uh, Bitcoin <laughs> is still quite tiny compared to the entire traditional course. finance system. Uh, and maybe your data disproves that uh, Ethereum uh, is more valuable and more like often transacted uh, in volume. Uh, but I don't care about today's data. I think in the next few years, this is definitely going to happen because just because consumers lend, they exchange stable coins, um, they borrow, they insure, they stake, they bet, they play, like they do so many things. And in Bitcoin, it's like they hold. So I think the data is going to disprove uh, your point very, very soon. How much, uh, how much value is locked in DeFi right now? Do you know? I think something like $15 billion and it was 15, one, five. Yeah. One, five. Yeah. It's incredible. That's a lot. last year. It was 800 million. I think, uh, yeah, yeah. was it earlier this year? It broke a billion. I think, I think so. Yeah. It's insane. The growth. I think we're going to end the year with like 50 billion locked in DeFi. That would be fair. But, but the, the thing I always wonder, uh, and I don't know if you know this answer or not. Uh, and so whoever's listening to this, if you can figure this out, uh, tweet at both of us is how much of that is what I call like net new capital inflow. So I took dollars or I took Bitcoin and like, and put it in versus uh, you and I create a token and then we stake it somewhere. Right. And like, that's not technically net new capital inflow. That's like, we created, you know, half a billion dollars of market cap. And now that counts towards that metric. I don't know the answer, uh, but that would be one of the questions of like, What's the net new capital inflow? So when it goes from a billion to 15, is that literally $14 billion flowing in, right? Ether's market cap, I think is like 25 billion, if I uh, remember correctly. And so like, like now. It's what like is it? Billion. 50? Yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's tens of billions, right? So like $14 billion of capital, uh, new capital inflow, like maybe, right. Or maybe it's 50, 50, you know, whatever it is. It's just like, to me, that feels like a really important, uh, difference because to your point, like there's ether and then there's the stable coins and there's all these other things built on top of Ethereum. And so how you count all that stuff, I think illuminates not only what is the overall growth of the ecosystem, but also um, what are the things that are actually driving the growth, right? Because my guess is, let's say that that is you know, $14 billion of growth. There's probably two or three things where you know 90% of the growth happens and then everything else is kind of maybe trending slightly upwards, but really it's you know Uniswap or something like that that's driving most of the growth. Right. Well, uh, first of all, I think DeFi Pulse, which tracks the value locked in DeFi, actually accounts for this. But okay. yeah, like I think uh, platforms like Token Daily and other blogs have said, you know, this might be recycling the same old money over and over with new protocols. And perhaps, but in each bull cycle, it starts with a group of degenerate people, um, you know, like the core group. And then because of the excitement, it brings more money from outside of that, see the growth. So I think definitely we are very early in this bull cycle as of August 2020, but I'm sure that uh, next year there will be retail and consumers going on for those new uh, strategies of investments that are way healthier, by the way, than the ICO in 2017. So I'm super proud of this. Absolutely. Uh, before we do the rapid fire, which I know you're you're ready to talk about some aliens, um, I uh, help me understand how do you think of portfolio construction in terms of, do you own Bitcoin? Do you own Ether? You obviously own Alex tokens. Like, like how do you think about um, kind of your portfolio? Uh, not, don't tell me amounts, but just like percentage wise. Um, do you own things other than Bitcoin and Ether and Alex? Like, like help me understand that. So I dumped all my Bitcoin for Ethereum last year or something. And now like you, you talk to the least wise investor ever, 99% of my net worth. No, sorry. Uh, maybe like 90% of my net worth is in uh, Ether, uh, long Ether on, on the maker vault. And it's insured by Nexus Mutual, which is an insurance solution on Ethereum. And that's basically most of my net worth. And then of course I have Alex, but I don't really count Alex of my net worth because I don't think I will sell Alex on the market. That's quite unethical right now, especially as the market is illiquid. So yeah, like 90% plus of my liquid uh, net worth is long ETH. Got it. And uh, so you sold all your Bitcoin and then you don't own anything else in terms of uh, like other major crypto assets that people- I own also, I own also other DeFi protocols tokens. Got it. Um, whether like for marketing campaigns or for uh, like the SDFI, which is like a basket of all the DeFi coins, because I think, you know, like the less liquid a token is and the better it is, the higher the uh, returns, right? So that's why probably Ethereum is going to uh, have a better bull run than Bitcoin other than having the actual use case, which will be like the DeFi stuff that Bitcoin doesn't have. So uh, yeah, the less liquid it is. So like DeFi protocols, I think are going to go like 100x or something, uh, at least the great ones. <laughs> I, lo I love your enthusiasm. <laughs> And and the fact is, I know that you that you're enjoying this just as much as I am. So that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So uh, last two questions. Uh, what's the most important book that you've ever read? Um, I think Steve Jobs, the biography, because <laughs> he's like my idol. Like, yeah. What What would you ask Steve Jobs if you could go to dinner with him? I don't. That's so. Yeah, I would love to. Like, but I don't think. 
I think, uh, you know, the young makes room for the new, wait, the old makes room for the young. Uh, and so that's fine if I never meet him, but I would love to. Well, you uh, can't meet him. He's dead. Yeah, exactly. So that's <laughs> why it's like, I am, I am relieved because it's fine. That's like how time passes. And I think that's what the wisdom he wanted to share as well, which is like, I don't need Steve Jobs. Uh, he inspired me and that's great. And now it's my turn uh, to have an impact and to inspire people. <laughs> All right. Aliens, believer or non-believer? Uh, yeah, I guess believer statistically, like most people. But then I read Max Tedmark, Lifestyle.O, which argues that um, we might be alone if we consider like the um, like distensible universe, like uh, like the universe that you can go to. And it's just impossible because it's just so vast that there probably are some aliens, but there's just so far away. And we would need either civilization to be at the speed of light and going towards us full speed uh, to really have a chance to meet uh, aliens. So I don't think, probably they are real, but we probably won't meet them because we are nothing in the realm of time, right? So that's why, uh, yeah, aliens exist. We might never meet them. I actually think that's the most realistic uh, perspective is they definitely exist and, and there's some other life form out there, but... Uh, 2020, right? So we can expect anything from 2020, even aliens. Absolutely. All right, you could ask me one question. What uh, what question you have for me? So would you tokenize yourself or when are you going all in on Ethereum? <laughs> so I thought you were going to ask me if I would buy some of your Alex tokens. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's where what you were... Yeah, uh, can you buy Alex, please? <laughs> no, I cannot. <laughs> that's fine. No, uh, so here's the way that I think about this. Um, I would not tokenize myself uh, for a whole host of reasons from right. uh, I'm an American citizen. Uh, my right. I just have a lot of complexity already in terms of investments yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and that would just like I can imagine sitting down with an accountant and trying to have this conversation. They would just laugh <laughs> you out of the room. Um, but the, uh, the thing that I am interested in um, is uh, I love the collectibles market. I think that that's super interesting, um, especially when you get digital versions versus the analog versions, right? Um, I'm shocked that given the popularity of like the sports trading card world, uh, that there hasn't been like more, you know, how do we do digital trading cards, all that kind of stuff. Um, then the other thing I would say is uh, I think that um, the whole idea of like tokenizing companies in a way to use technology to have a claim on the cash flow. Right, so um, I, I think it's Basecamp. Maybe is the company that uh, it's like an LLC, and the two founders uh, they let Bezos buy into it, and he owns like ten percent or something. And so, like at the end of every quarter, or every year, or whatever, they just like distribute cash, right? And so, like to me, it just feels like um, as much as the last couple of decades has driven like complexity and financial engineering and capital markets and like all that kind of stuff, this technology just like simplifies things again and starts to automate. Uh, so what you end up doing is like one, you reduce accounting frauds Two, you end up actually uh, having a much bigger incentive for people from an equity ownership standpoint. Uh, and then three is it becomes really interesting when now all of a sudden there's no difference in, in somebody in the United States, in Europe, in Southeast Asia, uh, in South America, or on the continent of Africa, everyone with an internet connection is quote unquote equal, right? In terms of their ability to participate in financial services and ownership of, uh, assets, things like that. And so I think that 
that's just one of these like inflection points in human history that ends up saying, wait a second, uh, if now I can basically empower people, if I can teach them to fish, right, rather than give them the fish, what are humans capable of? Like, who the hell would have thought that, you know, a 24-year-old sitting in Europe was going to go and tokenize himself? Like, nobody. Right. And so it's just like, like, there's so much more that will happen. Uh, some of it will be good. Some of it will be bad. Uh, you know, literally some of it will be shit coins and some of it will be, you know, real value. But um, I think that's kind of the, the encouragement of innovation and experimentation drives a lot of this stuff. And so like, you know, you, you definitely fall in the category of like, either you're a genius or you're absolutely lost your mind. Um, but I think that like, you're comfortable living in that spectrum. Right. Yeah. And, and the world needs people like you and others like you to go try some of this stuff. And like, either you're going to figure it out or you're not. Right. But like, if you're comfortable doing that and it's important to you, then like knock yourself out. Right. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, of course, yeah, you might not need a personal token uh, because maybe you're not young enough or maybe, well, not just that because you're already like a list in your industry and you will grow with the bull market and you're already, you know, master monetization with your newsletter and everything. And so you might not need that extra boost that, you know, emerging creators need. So I totally get that. Yeah. And but do you have any Ethereum? No. Okay. Can I give you some? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, listen, here, here, here's, uh, I mean, I've talked about this a million times on the podcast, but basically my whole thought process is uh, it's not just a financial uh, evaluation for me. Right. And so if you think of in a financial market, like this is one thing that I think uh, the Bitcoin community uh, doesn't talk about a lot, but I do think is intellectually honest. So if you look at um, in a bear and a bull market, just the uh, asset sizes. So the largest assets are likely to actually go down uh, to go up the least right from a volatility standpoint. And the smallest market cap ones when in a bull market should go up even more. Right. Well, same thing happens when you reverse it in a bear market, right? Is a large cap asset likely to go down the least? A, a small cap should go down the most, right? Now, there's always outliers. I get it. Stop tweeting at me already about the fact that like, you know, there's some example that violates that principle. But in general, that is true. And so when you bring that to crypto, everything is quote unquote small compared to the traditional market. Right. But there still should be some spectrum in terms of uh, if the largest cap assets go up 2x, then there's going to be a bunch of these super small assets that go up 8 or 10x. Right. That's just the law of market caps. Um, and, and so I think that uh, there's a lot of people who confuse um you know, just the financial returns with other things. Uh, and people just have to ask themselves, like, are you here just for the financial return? Well, then like you should go, you know, 10x leverage and go buy some shit coin that pumps 800%, and, you know, and you're good, right? Uh, but if you have interest in other things, which I think uh, you do to some degree, right? And I think others, um, then it's evaluating not just the financial outcomes, but also the, the kind of non-financial impact, right? Makes sense. Um, fair. So are you going to buy some Bitcoin? No, because <laughs> Ethereum just, it's very fair. Ethereum will make the world better. It, it will enable collectibles that you like. It will enable, uh, you know, investing in cash flow earnings. That's like the new wave of DeFi that's happening right now. And it will dominate the bull market. So I don't see why, but I get it. Like it has the best branding, Bitcoin, uh, and it is great. And I would probably be bullish Bitcoin if I was maybe having like a older and like more wealth, perhaps. Uh, right now, I know that if I maximize Ethereum, it will probably go higher than Bitcoin. And, and still, it's like, a, you know, auto rebalancing DeFi basket where it will capture the best protocol that is on Ethereum. 
So it's a safe bet. So I don't like, yeah, I don't go too low in terms of liquidity for my returns, but I'm still a bit more aggressive than Bitcoin, but I think it's going to pay off. Awesome. All right. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, on Twitter at Alex Masmej, M-A-S-M-E-J. Um, that's it. How do you pronounce your last name? So it's a cut for my real French name, which is Masmejon. And I just said Masmej on Twitter. And I, it's weird because people think I'm Polish now, but I'm French. Um, yeah, I don't know how to cut my last name. If anyone has suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Listen, I appreciate all the work you're doing. Thank you so much for doing this. And uh, I think people will find this fascinating. So we'll have to do it again in the future as, uh, as you launch other things. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pompa. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. <laughs>